You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Right here we go again. Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles Hunter Profile podcast today. And uh, today we're going to be talking with a bow hunter from Northeast Iowa. His name is Ross Payne, and uh, he's going to walk us through 2012, 2013, 2014, and finally 2015 when he finally killed this buck uh, that we're going to be talking about today. It's his biggest buck to date. And uh, he's pretty excited about it. And hopefully you guys uh, find this uh, entertaining. So I'm going to save the BS for the outro. Enjoy this podcast. All right. On the phone with me now is Ross Payne. How's it going today, Ross? Good. How are you, Dan? I'm doing great. Doing great. So it looks like you had a pretty successful 2015 season. But uh, before we start talking about that, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what do you do for a living? Yeah, so uh, I live up in the very northeast part of Iowa, and uh, I'm a district sales rep for a seed corn company. Uh, So I get to go about and uh, visit with quite a few guys, and uh, luckily I've had that turn to a few relationships with guys so I can pick up a little more land. But uh, Basically, I'm out on the road every day talking to farmers, and it's uh, paid off well for me. So, I tell you what, I got a buddy. He, I don't know if you're anything like him, but he's a, uh, a seed corn salesman as well, and he's he's a slick talker, and he he has access to thousands of acres of primo hunting. Yeah, it, it paid off for me this fall. Was, uh, after I got my buck and. November, uh, I was talking with a customer and uh, he turned me on to a buck that he'd seen across the way that he gets to be about 180 in, uh, in a corn stubble field and uh, turned me on to the guy to go talk to and I ended up picking up about another 600 acres uh, in late muzzleloader. So. I tell you what, I might change my occupation to seed corn salesman just <laughs> so I could have access to more ground. Oh, uh, yeah. It, and I, I tell you what, the thing is, and more people, if, if they'd go out and just simply ask permission, they, I think more guys would be surprised at just going out there and knocking on doors and, you know, simply have the conversation with guys. You'd, you'd find a lot more acres. I mean, hey, we don't, it's we not don't all wanna, that difficult. We don't want to tell too many people that, right? Especially, <laughs> especially in Iowa. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> all right. So the story of this buck. You you said it starts in 2012. I think that's before and before we start talking about 2012, why don't you tell us a little bit about 
what your preparation is like. What do you do? Do you plant food plots? Anything like that in preparation for a season, like your summer activities? Yeah, uh, it it depends on the the summer and how busy it is, obviously. But um, you know, moving a few tree stands around here and there. Uh, most of the ground that I hunt is uh, ag fields or adjacent to ag fields, and there's not a lot of guys in this area that are willing to give a lot of high-value production ground to let you put in a couple acres of food plot when they could be making making money off of it. But at the same time, standing corn is great cover, great food, um, so it, it works out pretty well. Uh, so I've only done a few. I've tried out a few micro plot type things. Um, I haven't seen a huge success with it since there's so much food around the area. Um, but I'm looking to possibly try some uh, something to hold them late in the season because this time of year uh, they tend to shift off of my my property that I can hunt and onto the neighboring property where they have actually some forage left that the deer can graze on and my my corn stubble gets turned over. So as soon as that happens, the deer move uh, right off uh, right off my ground onto the neighbors. So. Um, other than that, uh, not much for food plots, uh, other things for preparation this summer, like I said, trim out a few stands. I didn't get a lot done this summer that, that I'd like to. Um, but really we, we've had this property for quite a bit of time that we could hunt on. And, uh, we've kind of, uh, to a certain point, we got a little lazy and we know the main travel routes and we have a few key stands that might get moved around a few, few five, 10 yards here and there every other year or something like that to get a little closer to where we think the action is. Um, but uh, other than that, we don't have a lot. And then I, I kind of got tired of tired of that this year and thought I could step it up a little more. So I, I actually went out this summer and I got myself a, a lone wolf climbing stand because I wanted to do kind of some more run and gun type action. Like uh, I've been hearing from, from you and Mark on your other podcast and, you know, try to take it to another level and uh, it paid off for me this year. Now, did you, uh, did you do a lot? Uh, you, so you said you did a lot of running and gunning this no, year? No, I hadn't. Oh, this year. Yeah. So I, I started off early season. I kind of sat on some field edges um, to start with, kind of do a little more observation and, uh, you know, really take note of everything this year. And then, um, as we got further into season and closer to rut, then I really got more aggressive. And I kind of like you guys have been talking, like I've started to, to notice the first time you sit in the stand is it's almost always better than, you know, a stand that's been there for a year or two or the first, even the first sit of the season than a, an old stand. So. Gotcha. All right. 2012. Why don't yep. you, why don't you start us off with uh, the very, the very first, well, let's backtrack a bit. Why don't you tell us some aspects of the land you hunt? Give us a little detail about what kind of country. I know you mentioned you got some ag fields, but is it steep? Is it rolling hills, timber, thick timber, open timber? Why don't you, you break it down for us? Yeah, so uh, to kind of get a lay of the field, I'd say there's a, uh, well, imagine a big corn field. In the very southeast corner, there's a 90-degree right corner you know, cutting directly north and the other fence line goes south. And most of my uh, territory sits to the east of that and to the south of that. Um, it's up here and we're in the bluff country area. So we've got some pretty good rolling hills and valleys 
and uh, some really good ridge lines. And uh, so luckily that makes her some good pinch points. Uh, and, you know, you can, you can work the deer down to a real close area where they're going to be traveling a lot of the time, but it, it's going to vary on a, on a good sized piece of ground. Uh, the main, the main area I cover is probably about 60, 70 acres is the main patch um, that we've, you know, historically been hunting year after year. Um, and it's uh, pretty old growth timber. Uh, so it's, it's pretty open. Uh, you know, the guys talk about wanting not be able to see past 20, 30 yards for perfect deer habitat, but, um, and we're still seeing lots of movement. Uh, and I think that's probably because we have the ag field, uh, you know, standing corn, you know, only a few yards away, but, uh, it's pretty open timber, rolling hills, points, ridges. Um, and that's kind of one thing I've, I've really keyed in on this year is trying to work those fingers, the points, the ridges, and trying to be more aggressive on those, uh, trying to, trying to get on deer action where, um, historically I probably haven't done that. Okay. So 2012, why don't you describe the very first encounter or the very first time you ever laid eyes on this buck? 2012, um, I mean, I, I can't, I can't tell you the exact first time I saw him in the stand. Uh, he was, uh, a nice small 10 point in 2012, um, where, you know, he was barely pushing, pushing for those 10 points. Um, but I had him on trail camera, um, quite a bit in 2012. Uh, you know, like I said, I had, I know I had a few interactions with him in the field, but he wasn't anything that was, you know, jumping out at me as a, as a great buck that I, you know, was going to do anything with that year. He, he needed some growing on him. So, you know, I, I let him pass, um, and kept, kept an eye on him basically. And then, uh, nothing real stand out for 2012 for him, just a, a buck that we were keeping our eye on. Gotcha. It, so, so he didn't make your radar in 2012. You just, you noticed him, but you, you know, yep. nothing, nothing too serious. 2000, anything, anything special, um, in between the, uh, 2012 and 2013 season, did you find a shed? Did you, um, did, did yep. you take any type of different hunting approach? No, not, not a lot of different approach there in 2012 to 13. I said, unfortunately, when, when so the combine rolls through the cornfield for us, we'll still have plenty of deer movement around here. We have quite a few hog farms, so then they'll come and knife and hog manure, and we'll still get it'll cut down on some of the the infield traffic of the deer, um, but they'll still come out there. But as soon as they get out there and they kill it up completely, the deer movement really shuts down. Um, you'll get some movement during the rut, but after that, they pretty well go over to neighboring properties where. Um, you know, there's alfalfa fields and uh, maybe a little bit of standing corn or something still. But uh, so we don't really get a lot of sheds on this area. We found a few, none from him, um, but we historically don't find a lot of sheds on our property just because of that. Got you. Now, is that, uh, are your neighbors, you know, the people on the neighboring property, are, are they serious hunters too? I mean, do they, do they go out and do they find sheds or, I mean, are they looking for the same quality deer you are, or are they kind of like an it's a brown, it's down type? Uh, we, we've got both. So um, this property, uh, I've so there's a, a big valley that runs to the to the east side of uh, 
the cornfield I've talked about. And there's another guy that basically farms the east side, or excuse me, he hunts the east side of that valley, and I hunt the west side of that valley up to this cornfield. Um, and uh, we we know the guy, and he he tends to find a lot more sheds than we do, um, because up and over to the to the east side, up and above that valley, there's uh, standing alfalfa, and uh, sometimes a little bit of corn left uh, from the previous year. So, uh, and he he's typically uh, more of a a higher maturity, um, you know, larger rack hunter, I'd say, you know, more of the management type. Um, and then we do have a group that comes through and party hunts it for shotgun. And it's always, it's hard to tell how many deer they take out of there every year because of the territory and, you know, such the, the rolling hills and the valleys and everything. It's hard, hard for them to get all the deer that come through, uh, but they do manage to take a few out of there every year. Okay. So, did you get any velvet pictures of this buck? What what did he look like going in from 2012 to 2013? He picked up a little bit of mass and a little bit of length all the way around. Um, he was basically at 2013. He was a nice, would be a nice four and a half, um, ten point, and one that you know really caught our attention. But there are still bigger deer on the farm that you know, we're going to let them pass and, uh, and go until the next year. But, uh, I had one or two encounters with them. Uh, I think I had them up to, you know, probably within shooting range uh, once or twice in 2013. Um, probably never gave me a great shot, but uh, like I said, once again, nothing real notable 2013, uh, for him, but just another deer we were watching. Okay. Now, you said there's you weren't a hundred percent sure of his age, so you thought that maybe in 2013 he could either be a three year old or a four year old, right? Yeah, it's it's hard to say. The first pictures that I started running a camera pretty consistently in 2012, and that's when you know the first time I got pictures of him, um, and then he was either a big a big two and a half or a you know a nice three and a half. So. I'm guessing at harvest he was five and a half or six and a half. So and it's it's a little bit of a give or take. Gotcha, gotcha. And you know, and sometimes you can tell with that body, and sometimes you can't. It's uh, exactly it's hard to tell sometimes because one of the oldest deer that I've ever you know had the opportunity to chase was like a ten year old buck. The year he was shot was like he was two hundred inches on the dot, but he had a really short body, and I don't know. I, I'm guessing he would probably weigh in right at the 200 to maybe 220 pounds. So not a giant, yep. not a giant deer, body from a body standpoint. Yep. And kind of the one thing that makes me think he was maybe four at that time. I know it depends on the buck, but I've heard a lot that you know your biggest jump in, in antler size is between you know the fourth year and the fifth year, and that's really when he caught our attention was 2014. So I. I mean, he could have made that jump from three to four, um, but body-wise and, and antler-wise, he really showed up for team. Gotcha. All right. Now, any sheds from the 2013 season? Any any uh, close encounters? Anything interesting? From the 14 season? From the from the 13 season. 13. No, I really I I don't have any sheds from this deer at all, which is unfortunate. Um, I gotta, I gotta get in touch with the guy that hunts the east side, 
uh, and see if I can't talk to him and see if he has any of the sheds from him. Um, but uh, really, 2013, nothing extremely notable with him. Okay. Um, just just a nice deer that you know we we're watching. All right. Uh, what about the summer? Did you get him on trail cameras the summer before uh, the 2014 season? Yeah, I got him. I got him on trail camera. And I got velvet pictures of him going into 14, um, and you know, right away, you could tell he was going to be something nice. Um, he started developing a little bit of a sticker uh, on his left, uh, his left brow tine, and uh, you know, you could tell right away that you know he was he had the potential to be another another nice deer, and uh, didn't quite realize how big he was going to turn into or to you know he was going to take that big jump quite yet because uh, obviously once you hit rut they're a completely different animal right so uh any close encounters with him in uh now in 2014 did you look at this buck from the trail camera pictures and and say this buck is making my hit list yeah he did um definitely so he kind of crossed that threshold and they were looking at him and you know, I got pictures of him uh, from November in 2014, and uh, you could tell he was probably one of the more dominant bucks in the area. Uh, you know, he he came in and he had trash from rubbing on all the trees and stuck in his antlers, and uh, just a real, you know, more look, look more aggressive, looked like a bigger deer, um, and really showing off in body size. And I'd say he he was in the top top couple deer on on the area um but in 2014 uh, there's one other deer that i kind of took my attention away from this one we had a real nice uh it was uh it was an eight point with the drop time that came on it was probably in the one he's probably in the 140s 150s range and uh not you know an old mature deer big body and uh one of our family friends and my dad went out early muzzleloader season and they saw him and, you know, we got to pattern him a little better and that's, I, I kind of turned all my efforts into finding that drop time. So uh, I actually shifted away from this buck in 2014 to, to go after that drop time buck. So that's kind of, that's kind of cool. I, there's always those deer that you, you, you put on your hit list, but, they kind of you kind of hope you don't see them because yep. you, you just want to know what they turn into that that next year and so yep. you're so this buck here is lucky that there's that you know that other buck running around that kind of took your attention off him yeah yeah and i ended up connecting with that drop time in 14 um and uh one of those poor situations where I hit a, a twig going down range and hit him high and back and uh, I ended up tracking him the next morning and you know looked for days upon days after that and never found him but after that I would you know how it gets after you wound an animal you don't find it you're down on yourself and uh, I'd probably load up on my hunting pressure a little bit even during the rut because I was just so upset about that so yeah uh, so he kind of came off my radar in 14 and um, after that happened and he made it through to 15. Gotcha. All right. So no sheds from this buck. It is the summer of 2015 
and you get a cut you got again you got some some pictures of him what, what was that? you got you got some pictures of him in 2015 in the summer right you got some velvet pics so yeah. so you know he's back he's on your hit list what are you thinking are you thinking all cards in on this buck right here or were there other bucks on your farms that uh were were worthy of an arrow i mean he's the one that consistently i mean on the home range we were we were in this core area i mean year after year the same time he was around i mean we've we get some pictures in summer where all of a sudden the summer range comes and we we get some absolute monsters big i mean you'll see on trail cameras two or three times in the summer and, you know, where did they come from? Yeah. Um, you know, if they were to walk by, you know, I'd, I'd pass this guy up for them, but I mean, I've never seen one of them come through actually once you get into fall season. So this guy was on the top of my list and, um, that's, you know, 2015 is also the point where I kind of really tried to step up my game. Um, you know, whether it's tactics or scent control and things like that, trying to get after this guy. So what specific, what what specifically did you change? I know you mentioned a couple there. Going into the 2015, you said you bought a lone wolf stand. You said you did some things with with scent control. What specifically? Um, I, so you know, 2015 is the first time I really heard about nose jammer. Uh, I know you guys have talked about it, and you know I heard guys talking. Oh, it's such a great product, and I've I've never been one that to buy into something really easily. And I had enough guys talking about, all right, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. I'll, you know, I'll do it all out. So I got the, the field spray, the laundry detergent and, uh, and maybe, uh, the deodorant or something. So I got a couple of the main things and basically use that as my main scent control regimen, um, on top of a few of the other things that I've done. And, uh, it worked great for me. I mean, the first time I had it out, um, I think there's a little bit of a adjustment period to the deer herd to it. Uh, the does kind of seem to, to react a little, not poorly to it, but they, something new to them, I, I'd say, and they, they weren't quite sure what it was. But after that, um, you know, scent, scent control with the nose just jammer, I think, really helped. And then uh, uh, trying different tactics like setting up on, on ridge lines, you know, just right on the ridge, trying to get your scent to blow over, um, and you know, hitting it on the right wind, you know, really watching my access and the, you know exit routes, and uh, just really trying to pay attention to, to a lot of those key things. Um, and you know, I listened to to you and Mark talk and some of those things. From uh, one thing that you know came into mind for this situation was, you know, really watching the weather, watching. Uh, you know, your moon phases, anything like that. And I actually started taking a, a journal of every time I went out hunting in 2015. Uh, after I got back that night, I took a note of all the deer I saw, their travel paths, um, just took notes like that and uh, tried to correlate back and forth and really get an idea of who's doing what and what conditions. Okay. And, um, you know, obviously something worked for you. Uh, let's talk about when when do you start hunting i know um is is the fall i know you're a seed a seed corn salesman so your job is you know in the summer and the spring when they start planting but are you busy with your job in the fall as well or 
what's yeah. you know going around checking yields and stuff or, or what's what are you what are you doing exactly so fall is is a it's a double-edged sword and i'm out i don't sit in a, a cubicle but i'm out driving around trying to make sales and checking some yields for guys and uh driving around talking to farmers and as i'm driving by i'm seeing a buck chase a doe down the the road and I'm going, I should be in a tree stand, but, um, uh, at least, you know, I'm outside seeing it, but, uh, it's, it's hectic and, uh, I, you know, I don't get out probably as much as I'd like to sometimes, but I, you know, try to get to work as early as I can in the morning, get everything done. And then if I have time in the afternoon, I might try to slip out. And, uh, you know, I got to do that a few times this fall and, uh, ended up working out. So, your your tactic here on this on this buck when did you actually did you catch him on trail camera first did you see some scrapes or some rubs open up tell me yeah. tell me when you started him and how many how many uh sits did you chase him before you ended up connecting with him so i i really started watching him pretty well um the, shortly before october i had pictures of him on trail camera um, in the area. And I knew from previous years that he kind of stays around, um, throughout, the throughout the rut and into the, to the season until that, basically that corn's taken off and tilled. Um, so I knew he was around and then, um, I managed to go out uh, a number of times, but the first time I saw him, I was actually sitting on the field edge, uh, it was, uh, second day in November, I think, and uh, ended up having one of those days that there's quite a bit of movement going on and uh, had a real nice eight point come right on the stand on the field edge. They'd taken off all the endros and the corn, so the deer were really using that as a highway. And uh, as hilly as it is up in this territory, there's a lot of uh, terraces or drainage, you know, drainage, and they have to put a, a, we call them a terrace up here, so stops the water flow from down the hill on the road and everything. And the deer will walk those terraces as well. And uh, I had him come through. Uh, basically, he was hanging out the cornfield all day and sitting in the stand. I caught a glimpse of him for about 10 seconds. He came out on a terrace about 30, 35 yards away from me, uh, barely long enough for me to get the binoculars up on him. And uh, he walked north away from me and just, you know, almost perfectly, you know, gave me the rear end and I couldn't, couldn't take a shot at him. So, um, I got, I got a glimpse at him for about 10 seconds, uh, uh, maybe a week and a half before I had an encounter with him again. Um, but you know, right as soon as he stepped up off of that, you know, like that's that's a shooter and you know, (laughs) if only he would have came this way. What, what date was that again when you had your first encounter with him in 2015? November 2nd. November 2nd. And is that because you weren't hunting before the hand because you you were busy with work? Um, I made it out a few times before then, but that was just the first encounter that I had with him. Um, You know, that gave me assurance that he was hanging out in the area. And, um, yeah, the the first real in-person encounter with him, and that's the first time I'd seen him since he'd gotten as big as he was. And he was... You could tell just stepping out, he was a body like a horse and just a massive deer. All right. So November 2nd, your first encounter with him, was that a, excuse me, was that a morning or an evening hunt? 
that was an evening hunt. I, yeah, that was an evening hunt, and I think it was probably about, I want to say like 4.30 or something in the afternoon when I when I got a glimpse at him. Gotcha. All right, so now you know he's in the area and you want to kill him. What moves did you make? Uh, basically, I, I didn't get back in the woods for another couple of days, and uh, when I did, I didn't even think it was going to be a great day or, you know, a couple of years ago, if you would have asked me if I would have gone out that day, I would have said no, because it was probably one of the windiest days in November that we've had all year. It was, I think we had winds of 25 miles an hour with gusts up to 30, 35. And historically, you know, I thought deer don't move in that situation. Um, you know, I have to listen to some information that's, you know, I said, heck, let's give it a try. So I went and sat um, on one of those major ridge lines that we have on the property and that the deer tend to work north and south and uh, on those ridge lines. And I got down, tucked just enough out of the wind, and uh, it wasn't too bad right there. And I figured I'd give it a shot and see what happens. So I, I went in a brand new location. Um, it's only, I shouldn't say brand new location, that's 60, 70 yards from another stand that we'd historically hunted. Um, but it was right on the ridge. I never put a stand up there before. So I set up the climber and went up and, and settled in for the night. So how long, how, how, how far of a walk from where you park your truck to this stand location and how long did it take you to set up? Um, so it really, it's not that bad of an, uh, a walk in or out. Uh, there's a, a long valley, like I talked about, and at the end there's a house and the valley continues up probably another two, 300 yards. And, uh, uh, the valley's got a nice stream in it, so I just walk up the middle of this valley about 100, 150 yards, and uh, all my main hunting properties to the west of me, and the main wind is west. So basically, I get to the point uh, in the valley that I want to cut into the wood line, and uh, I basically walk straight west, try to eliminate as much of the scent trail as I can, and uh, cut right up to the top of the ridge, and um, you know, it's one of those where you got to be real slow going up the top of the ridge because sometimes there goes at that only 50 to 100 yards uh, on the other side of that ridge and uh, set up. And since I started using the climber, I probably wasn't as quick as I, you know, I could have been. It, it takes a little bit of a learning curve trying to do one of those when you've never done it before. Uh, <laughs> so it probably took me, from the time I, I got there, it's probably... 10 minutes, maybe a little more between when I had to stand up in the tree and everything settled the way I wanted. Okay. All right. So what direction was the wind when you finally, when you finally got into your stand, was it blowing off the top of the ridge and blowing down into the valley? Yeah. Yeah. So I was set up right on this ridge that runs north south and I was set facing into the wind, which was coming from the west and it was blowing my scent. Uh, down into the valley west behind me. Um, and uh, basically I was down out of the wind enough where it wasn't the full 25, 30 miles an hour, which it was blowing, but um, it, it was definitely in my favor and uh, basically sat waiting for deer trying to cruise that ridgeline looking for hot does. Was the, what was the temperature? Was it overcast? Uh, that day, uh, it was about 45 degrees in my, in my notes here. Um, and I don't think I put down, well, it was overcast. I want to say 
was probably slightly overcast and uh, had a rising barometer. Okay, and this was an afternoon hunt again, correct? Yeah, I got settled in at like 2.30 or so, so I I got uh, got in there a decent time. And what what uh, what day of the week was it? That would have been uh, the 12th of November. Okay, so was that a Monday or a Tuesday? Oh, I can't remember. I'd have to look. Okay, not a big deal. Did you did you have to work that day or? Yeah, yeah, okay. I did, and I I can't remember what I had going on, but I I got all my stuff done early, and um, you know, I got out there. I didn't have anyone call me, and I was on my way out or walking to the stand, so I got ended up getting to go and. Um, like I said, it's typically not a day I, I normally would have hunted or thought I'd have success, but since I don't get out every day, I figured I might as well take a shot at it and, uh, you know, never know what's going to happen. Right. All right. So you're set up, you're in the stand. It's too, you got, what'd you say? You got set up about two third, finished set, setting up about two thirty. Yeah. Somewhere between two thirty two forty five. I got set up. Did you trim um, out any lanes? Uh, no, I didn't. So like I said, it, it's some pretty old growth timber. There's some, some massive trees in there and pretty good canopy. So there wasn't a lot that I had to trim out. Okay. Um, I had my shooting lane sign pretty open up to even out to 40 yards. I could take a clear shot um, in some spot. So it was, it wasn't a lot of work to be done. So it kind of helped me out there. Okay. All right. So you're in your stand, you're, you're, you're settled down. How long before you started seeing movement? Was he the was he the first deer that you saw? Was there any other movement? No, he wasn't. So I got settled down, and probably I don't know 20 minutes after I got settled, um, I you know so windy you couldn't really hear much. So I had to keep my head on a swivel most of the day or the afternoon, I should say, and um, ended up looking behind me and uh, so to the east over down the ridge a little bit. Uh, there's a little bit of a shelf, not much. And there was a, a nice eight that was cruising north and south on the ridge of that actually behind me where the wind was blowing to him. And he never, you know, he was going at a good clip and never caught my, my scent or anything. I don't know if it's because of the sun control or I was high enough up, um, you know, and over the ridge of him as well that he didn't, he didn't catch it. Uh, but he, he worked to the north to me and I couldn't, I couldn't get a great look at him, but he was moving quick enough. So I ended up taking out the grunt call and I gave him a, uh, a few grunts and I got him to turn and come up. And he came, uh, he, he came probably to within 35 yards of me after he, he crested up on top of the ridge and, uh, you know, kind of postured around a little bit looking for me and, uh, decided he, he wasn't one that I wanted to take. Wasn't really on my, my hit list. Um, so it was kind of neat just to, to watch him. And after that, you know, <laughs> you kind of get excited for the night when that happens. And uh, he ended up walking up towards the cornfield, which is about, uh, I'd say it's probably about 75 to 100 yards uh, northwest of me. And he ended up that way. And I basically settled in again after he came through. And then I'd go ahead. So... This buck's not a shooter. He works his he he starts working away. What happened next? Uh, basically sitting there again, uh, waiting, trying to to see what was going to happen, and um, 
all of a sudden I caught a glimpse up to my north and had a had a doe come trotting through, um, and she had a, a younger fawn following her. And then there's another decent eight. It could have been the same one. I, I can't remember for sure. Uh, but there's a, a little eight dog and this doe and the fawn. And uh, they came through and caught my attention and uh, wanted to glass the, the buck. So I kind of stood up from my stand and slid my seat back and everything and uh, got my binoculars up on him. And here I had another couple does come in behind them. And uh, after I put the binoculars down, I noticed that the front doe that he was dogging had stopped and was looking pretty intently kind of past me. And she was at about 20 yards and she was looking, what would have been, uh, she was looking southwest, you know, across from where I was and I was looking to the north. And they're kind of one of those looks that you see a deer and you know they're they're checking out something else coming their way and it's not you. Yeah. Yeah, so sat in and kind of one of those where you try to turn around as, as slowly as you can, not trying to spook the doe as the other buck, and just keep your head turned enough to see what was coming. And that there's another doe coming my way from the southwest, and uh, this buck was, was following her behind. And uh, basically she she started heading my way, and it was one of those where I just, I got the bow slowly and got it in my hands and kind of settled in and didn't quite know what to expect. So had you seen this buck already or did you not, did you not get a a good look at him because you were kind of, you didn't want to get busted? Yeah. So I was, I was in that position where you don't want to do too much because you don't want to get busted, but I wanted to glass him, but I, I couldn't get to my binoculars and my bow and everything all at the same time. So I ended up just, grabbing the bow, getting ready just in case. And he got close and it was one of those where it happened quick enough that I didn't fully realize who he was. Um, and she ended up bringing him by in front of me. And, uh, he, I don't know, he was probably 40 yards away and he locked onto this other buck that was dogging the doe. It was kind of one of those real neat situations where that, that old dominant buck, just decides he's not taking it from anyone. He's really started to posture and snort and just vocalize. Like I really hadn't, I hadn't seen that a lot. Um, and it's, it's just one of those really cool situations where he's, he was grunting and snorting at this other butt, trying to get him away from everybody. And uh, so this doe brought him about 20 yards in front of me. And I'm up in, I don't have a lot of cover around me, but he, he kind of at 20 yards kind of stops and, looks in my direction like you know he doesn't know I'm there but he knows something's up um and he just kind of kept an eye on me and he ended up trotting through behind this doe at about 15 20 yards to the north of me uh, heading towards this other eight point and this uh the doe and then the other the fawn and then a couple other does that had come in from the north and trying to chase this other buck out of there <laughs> i you know, I'm going, oh, God, it, I just ruined it. He, he's in front of me. He's not stopping. I can't get turned and get a, a shot off. And here's this, this buck, uh, you know, one of those situations. So, uh, so, but, but he did work his way in front of you. 
Did, yeah. did you realize it was this buck before you drew back or was it, did it happen so fast where it's like, okay, I just got to focus on getting the shot. You knew he was a shooter. I got to focus on getting the shot. Exactly. I, I knew he was a shooter and I wanted to get the shot. I didn't remember or know that was him. I didn't, I didn't say, oh, this is, you know, I called him Big John and then say, oh, that's him. Um, and he ended up going past me and I, you know, I was standing the wrong way to even get a shot drawn on him. Cause I thought he was going to come south of me and, you know, there were enough deer around at the time that it, it was hard to get adjusted, um, without spooking anything. So she ended up taking him north of me. Um, and he ended up trying to push around these other, this other buck and, you know, chase him around. And he ended up going up around some brush and stuff, probably 35, 40 yards north of me. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to get a shot at him again. You know, he's, he's up there. He's going to chase this guy north up to the cornfield or, you know, away from me. And I'm not going to get to see him again. Um, and then at that point, I think he, cause he's all of a sudden he kind of switched course after he kind of scared the smaller eight away. And I think he locked on to the, to the hot dough that smaller eight was pushing. Cause then she brought him back South, um, but he was about 40 yards to my west, which is kind of right at my the far edge of my comfort zone. And he was moving, you know, I wasn't going to get him to stop. <laughs> and uh, so she brought him back down and um, she milled around. And by that time, there had been another small spike and another doe that come from the south, just like one of those magical moments where you dream for in the woods where all of a sudden there's deer everywhere and uh, it was just, it was crazy. Uh, so she brought him, uh, ended up back to the South about 50, 60 yards of me. I could still see him the whole time. And at this point, you know, the heart's just going crazy. And uh, I have a hard time keeping myself under control at that point. All right. What happened next? So, uh, she ended up, this doe ended up coming back, uh, back north, almost directly on the south end of my stand. And she cut the small gap in between my stand and the ridge. And, uh, he was following her through and she brought him in right at about 15, 15 yards from there. And, uh, and this up, I, I wasn't positioned enough in that direction. I drew back on him and he was you know, just probably when he was about 25 yards and he came through and he wasn't stopping. I, you know, I tried to grunt him a few times or, you know, get him to stop and he, he didn't. Um, but he was going slow enough. I ended up taking a shot at about 15 and, uh, you know, kind of all hell broke loose from there. You know, the, some of the deer scattered and, uh, he ended up taking off and running down the ridge and then south. Did, on me. did you see where you hit him? I I saw I, so I got a, I had a, a lighted knock so I saw it go through him I know I, I hit him um, and then I knew it, I because he was walking I hit him a little further behind than I wanted but I didn't know exactly where it was um, but you know I know it wasn't you know the hundred percent kill shot that you wanted but it was still far, far enough up into the chest that you know I was fairly confident with it. So was he completely broadside or was he quartering? 
away from you? Lightly quartered two, actually. Okay, quartered two. Just lightly quartered two. Okay. Yep. And so you shot him. Yep. What What was going through your head after you after you released the arrow? And did he run away? Did he walk away? What What happened? Uh, yeah. So he ran. He went. He went down south um, over the ridge, or he went east over the ridge and then headed south along this ridge line. And it was excitement. It was fear, frustration, you know, kind of that whole mix of emotions because the one thing that flashed into my mind was, you know, I hit that, that real nice drop time the year before and lost him. And that was only, that was only 60 yards from where I hit this deer. And I'm just thinking, Oh God, I, I hope I didn't screw it up again. Um, but I'm, I'm damn excited. I got the shot on and I, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to get him. Awesome. So when you got out of your stand, did you go and you track him immediately? Was there blood at the site of impact or did you go back to your truck first? So, uh, basically still on the stand. Um, you know, I knew, I knew I couldn't see him go down. So I knew I was going to have to track him a little bit. And it was by that time, I knew I probably only had about half hour, 45 minutes of, of light left. So I ended up calling my my dad, had him come out uh, or start heading that way, and uh, I I got the climber down and started taking it apart and went and you know found there and looked it over and there was good blood on it and everything, and uh, you know at that time there were still deer hanging around even after I'd gotten out of the tree, um, so it it was one of those where do I go you know go after him right away do I wait so I got the arrow, um, got all my equipment together, and then just slowly started tracking them just a little bit. Uh, and by that time, it was probably half hour or so after I, I took the shot. Um, my my dad got there as well to to help me track, and uh, we started started looking for him. We had a little bit of the light left. And and then what? So we followed him uh, down, followed this ridge line south uh, almost perfectly uh, for about 200 yards. And the first, the first 50, 60 yards, there wasn't a lot of blood. Uh, and then he opened up pretty good. And uh, we, we kept following him. And uh, he ended up walking or ran up into a valley, another small valley that cuts uh, to the east. Uh, we stayed with him, and uh, it started getting dark, and, you know, we started to think, uh, you know, one of those were like, I don't know if you should back out at this point or how much further we should push him. Um, so we ended up sitting for about 20 minutes, Dad and I did, just to kind of compose ourselves and decide what we're going to do. Uh, so we decided we were going to, you know, track just a little bit further, and because uh, he was losing a lot of blood at that point, and he either had you know, he was going up a, a valley where at some point he had to go uphill and the way he was bleeding, he shouldn't make it very far. Uh, so we, we took off, started following him again for probably another 50 to 100 yards. And we were, he started cutting up this pretty steep valley uh, where it's, it's pretty tough to walk up and uh, just blood gushing everywhere off both sides. Nice pass through. We could tell. And, uh, 
about a third of the way up the valley. We ended up bumping him, and he was vetted only about 30 yards ahead of us. And, uh, you know, one of those that you, you hear him get up and run, and we ended up getting the flashlights on him, and we could tell it was him. So at that point, we decided we bumped him once. We thought we were going to find him. He's still alive, so kind of that tough call. We ended up backing out for the night and uh, going back home and one of those sleepless nights, and we're just going to you know, go after it in the morning. All right, so no sleep. You you go back to where you go back to where you bumped him. How how far from the point that you bumped him to to the the spot that you found him? Yeah. So when we bumped him, we saw him run. Uh, he headed back east along the edge of this valley, and then uh, you know we could hear him crashing around, and uh, so we followed or found where we stopped and kept going and it only took us about 15 minutes from there. And he was, he was luckily only about a hundred, 125 yards from where we last stopped looking. So, um, that the crashing we heard, we were pretty certain that was him dying. Um, and, uh, ended up finding them lodged between a log and the valley side, um, cause it's pretty steep in there. And, uh, so he'd rolled into there and did one of those were just overwhelming, you know, just so glad you found him. Yeah. So when was it that you realized that it was this buck that you had been, you had been watching since 2012? We, I mean, we got there, we, we saw him and it, I don't think it still clicked in. And then, you know, later on that day, we're like, this is, this is the buck that we thought. Cause we kind of, we, we noticed him at the beginning of the season, but we weren't following him hard from 2014 because we were hung up on that other buck. And then um, it was it was shortly after. And then we decided, oh, this this is Big John. You know, we hadn't had a real close encounter to see him in person. We had some trail cam pictures of him, um, but yeah, it was him. So kind of kind of cool then to go back and look and and piece that story together and. and kind of go through remembering seeing them through all those, those previous years on the trail cameras and a few times in person. So where, where did the shot end up hitting him? You said he was a little bit quartered towards you and from the sounds of how far, how far from the tree stand to where you ended up finding him? How many yards was that? Um, he probably, we probably from the, the blood trail was probably, 500, 500 to 700 yards somewhere in there. So I take it, uh, I take it there was no lung. So did you get liver? Liver. Liver. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. So it was a, it was a quartering toward shot. So you got, you got liver and probably put it into the guts a bit. Um, yep. And it was a pass through. So where did it come out? Kind of the backside of his gut by his uh, rear leg? Yeah, not, not that far where it would have, you know, they, hit leg or anything, but it was still, yeah, quartered back a little further yet. So it did clip a little of the gut. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So what, what was, what was this feeling? I mean, is this one of the biggest bucks you've ever shot? Yeah, this is the biggest one to to date that I've gotten. The biggest one before that was kind of, I think like 141. So he was, he was the biggest one I'd gotten. Um, it, it was a, 
it was a range of emotions, you know, just happy to, happy to be there. It's, you know, awesome having dad there, help me track him and recover him and, you know, not having to be worried that I wasn't going to find him from, you know, the previous year's episode. And, uh, yeah, it just damn happy to find him. And that's when I actually started, you know, texting my buddies, telling them I, I got him because I didn't want to, to go off spouting in my mouth saying I shot this real nice buck and, and not recover him again. So, man. So what did yeah. what did what did this buck end up scoring? He's gonna he's gonna be a little under 155. Okay, so right at we'll just round up. We'll say he's 155. Yeah. So that's a pretty cool buck, man. Congratulations. Uh, so, so what did you what did you learn from this buck? I it pays to go out. I mean, I mean, any time that you have the chance to go out, as long as you're, you're playing the cards that you're dealt, right. It's, it's worth going out there. Like I said, normally on, on a day with that high of a wind that, you know, I would have looked at it and said, oh, it's too windy to go out. I'm not, not going to go sit in the sand and get blown out today. Um, you know, changing up your tactics a little bit. Don't be afraid to run and gun, uh, you know, until this year, you know, I never thought I'd ever use a climber. And after after getting in one and you know seeing the advantage of being able to go set up wherever I want, um, really be mobile with it like that, you know, you know changing the tactics worked. And up until that point, we were you know the kind of guys that would we'd hang five six stands a season, you know maybe change them once a year or you know once every two years, and uh, you know happy with that. We had success with it, but to really get after the, you know, and change up your tactics to the way that they're going to work, you know, that had to do that and it paid to, to try something new. Perfect. Well, let me wish you congratulations, tell you congratulations on that uh, beautiful deer. And, uh, does, does this have you fired up for this upcoming season? Oh yeah. I'm already trying to make plans, trying to figure <laughs> out where I can do, do food plots for next year or, you know, making all those those crazy plans you know half of them might actually come through but it's it's got my mind raised for next year perfect perfect well again congratulations and thanks for taking time out of your day to to uh to do this yeah no problem thank you dan you know one of my favorite parts about doing what i'm doing and being and I hate to, the way I say it, it makes me sound like a douche, but being in the hunting industry is being able to talk to the average Joes and hear their stories, whether they're, it's a successful story or it's about a time a, a buck bit them in the ass. But one of my favorite parts about going to trade shows is everybody whips out their phones and they start flipping through their pictures and they're like, oh, here, check out this trail camera picture. Or, hey, here's a buck I missed. Or here's a, a buck I've been chasing. Or here's a buck that I, I scored on last year or this year. Or, or here's a buck I'm passing that that uh, I hope blows up next year. Those to me, those stories to me are are so entertaining. And I love hearing average guys hunt who hunt similar to me you know they don't they may lease or they may have you know private ground that they have access to or even ground that they own but they're but they're doing it in a time frame that's similar to myself you know hey these some of these guys got to work i got to work you know some of these guys i'm lucky to have roughly two to three weeks that i can dedicate to my hunting season every year um and that includes you know turkey hunting so 
when someone can tell me a story and I can relate to it, that that's very entertaining to me. And, and I hope that is being translated to you guys and you guys are loving these podcasts as well. But, um, the only thing I got to really say today is if you are interested in coming on the show and telling a story of a buck or a first time experience, or even a, a bad miss of a buck that you maybe have chased for four or five years, email me ninefingerchronicles at gmail.com. Tell me you have a story that you'd like to share online and, uh, I'll do a little communicating, uh, with you to see if it's worthy and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll get you on the podcast just like, uh, Ross here today. I want to thank Ross for coming on the show and, uh, hopefully you guys again are enjoying all this. Make sure you guys are visiting the Facebook page. Make sure you guys are visiting Twitter, Instagram. Like all that stuff. Follow me. The more followers I can get, the more time I can convince my wife to put out more content. Make sure you guys are visiting the blog for for my written content and uh, iTunes, Stitcher. You know that's where the podcasts are, are mostly being consumed. Other than that, guys, I hope everybody has a great weekend and wear your damn safety harness.